Hey everybody, welcome to our season finale, season two. Um, we have a good little episode tonight. We're hoping that uh, you enjoy it. It's Alex and I kind of lay out the progression of learning for Jeet Kune Do and um, Wing Chun. Just a beginning progression. And um, kind of tell you what's in store for for next season. And next season's going to rock, man. So I hope you guys really enjoy this show, episode. And we'll see you soon. Dudes of Kung Fu. Hey everybody, welcome to the season finale of Dudes of Kung Fu. Yes, sir. It's uh, the episode twelve, the season finale for season two. We um, we hope you like this season. Uh, we're gonna have a little bit of fun tonight and talk about some important topics. And most importantly, I think we're gonna talk about what we're gonna do next season. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how are you, Alex? I'm doing pretty good. Well, it, it it seems very stressful. You're making it like the season finale because I feel like we have to bring it or leave everybody on a cliffhanger. Otherwise, they're not going to come back for the next season. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this is true. Well, again, I think one of, one of the things we have to do next season, I think, I mean, we have it planned out really well, is I think uh, we Alex and I are going to make it a point of trying to be a little more regular next season than we were this season. This season was a little, you know, we... We both let uh, our busy schedules kind of get in the way, and I mean it happened. So we're gonna we're gonna try and be a little better with that next next season. Yeah, we should but, totally fo- follow the the Walking Dead formula. We should have like a mid season finale where one of the one of the hosts of Dudes of Kung Fu dies, and then <laughs> and then they, and you don't know, but it, you don't know if he's really dead or whatever. And then you have to wait until the second half of the season, and you find out that that you know I I just my chair just broke, and that's all that happened. Or whatever. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, say first of all, look at my fat ass. If there's a chair that's gonna break, we both know it's mine, but. <laughs> Yeah, but we know. But we know you probably sawed the leg off of mine just so that would happen. <laughs> it, it didn't happen from my weight. It's all sabotage. It's clearly sabotage going on over here. There you go. Everybody picks on the fat, fat Irish kid. I know. <laughs> so, uh, have you done? Uh, well, actually, uh, I I was very excited to to hear the new or the latest episode of the podcast, and then it wasn't coming up on my iTunes for the whole week. And then I was like, "What happened here?" And then one of my students is like. Oh, Sifu, I already heard the podcast. I'm like, where does it come up? They're like, oh, I saw it on YouTube already. And I was like, what? Ugh. And then I, I, I went and I, I watched it. And that was the first time I had seen um, our podcast. Now that we have uh, the, the two options, people can now listen to it uh, in the traditional audio format or people can go to, um, I, I guess we have a YouTube page now and then they, they can watch this horror show uh, and not just listen to it. <laughs> right, yeah, just go, just go to YouTube and um, search up Dudes of Kung Fu. And uh, you'll uh, find our podcast, and we can uh, you can watch and watch watch yeah. watch how good looking we are. That's the I think the visual thing. format will be a little bit more will be a little bit more fun once we get some more guests here because uh, as, as everyone knows, we do this remotely, so the um, the program that we use automatically switches the video feed to whoever's talking. So I think when we have like, when we have guests, that's going to make it a little bit more dynamic. Otherwise people are basically just looking at our fat heads talking into a microphone for an hour. Uh, I, I, I almost still prefer the audio version because there's really not a whole lot of added value to the visual one yet. 
Yeah. Um, but at some at some point when uh, I get my custom pasties and 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 shave my head, then then it'll uh, it'll be much more worthwhile to watch the uh, watch the video version. Don't let him fool you, folks. We both know he has that shit sitting there on his desk, and he can't wait to slap <laughs> him on right now. <laughs> so uh, I, w- I got a very good response to our last uh, podcast from from the students because we did something a little bit different. Rather than answering all the the questions and inquiries that we get on the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page, we decided to kind of focus a little bit more on one topic, and that obviously going up, doing a slightly deeper dive into one topic kind of brought out a lot of other tangential topics as well. And I thought that that format worked pretty good. So, um, you know, we discussed before the podcast today to kind of stick with that format a little bit. Uh, did you get any feedback on, on the last podcast where we talked about the BUG and the finger strikes? I did. Um, the, the major feedback I got apparently, and I didn't even know this, there's one or two lineages out there that, um, spend a lot of time on, uh, Dimmock and, um, we're not thrilled about us, uh, not being excited about Denmark, but um, mm-hmm. but I explained that um, that there's everybody you know we're grown ups and we have a we all have opinions on things and we don't mean to disparage anybody or any lineage in particular at all. I mean that's not what we're about. It's just you know neither one of us are. I can speak for myself. I can't speak for you. Neither one of I have not had a lot of experience with it, and I don't have place a large importance on Denmark at all. And what I was really talking about was that eye and palm training where you destroy your fucking hands in, in hopes of being able to punch through a brick wall, that's not for me. I'm a little bit too fucking delicate for that. You got to play your guitar. That's why you got to keep all your digits nice and smooth. Hey, listen, you keep your eyes off my digits, babe, all right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, just to kind of go to that topic, I mean, um, to, to kind of answer what might come off, you know, it may have come off that it was some kind of criticism or whatever, Um you know, I, I, w- I was trying very carefully to say that Iron Palm is something that's also in some martial art lineages. It's done separately. It's like an adjunct or it's like something that they add into their curriculum because there there are Iron Palm lineages um, like there's, you know, there are lines of people who have taught this technique and uh, and and have passed it on. And sometimes that particular Iron Palm technique gets other orthodox martial arts styles and then it gets kind of um swallowed up by the curriculum and then they have it there and then there's some people who just practice it uh, uh as a standalone thing and there are people who do it for demonstration or whatever but um you know to, to what you said you know we're all adults here so the thing is that there's no there's no reason to for anybody to be upset i mean look i come from the learning ting lineage all right there's if, if, if you look up online the stuff that people have written about him, I mean, it's absolutely horrific. And I've been dealing with this stuff for 20 years. There's nothing anybody can write negative about Sifu Lang Teng, uh, about anything that would even raise my pulse half a beat per minute. Because, first of all, I've heard everything. <laughs> right. Second of all, um, sometimes horrible things are actually true and it's just the facts. Or sometimes they're not horrible things. They're just certain things that are facts, and there's absolutely no reason to get upset about it at all, right? So if somebody said that, um, you know, <clears throat> so some of the Chisel techniques or whatever that are taught in the Learning Ting system, they were developed by Sifu Learning Ting, and these aren't from Grandmaster Yip Man, I would not be the le- least butthurt about it at all. I'd be like, <laughs> okay, that's fine. So that just means that he also put his ingenuity together and, 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 and created something, and I don't see why that's kind of a big diss. But if we look... At the history of Wing Chun, particularly the history of Yip Man's Wing Chun, 
it's a very spurious claim for people to say that Iron Palm actually is part of the orthodox Yip Man style. Now, that's not to say that Iron Palm is bad or Iron Palm is it's, it's bad to do it or bad to have it or whatever. But the thing is that <clears throat> sorry, when, when we're making claims, okay, and for some people they want to say Yip Man Wing Chun has Iron Palm in it, okay, that's a claim. And what people always forget is that when you make a claim, the burden of proof is on the person making the claim. It's not on the other people to refute the claim. So if somebody wants to legitimately claim that Yip Man Wing Chun has iron palm in it as part of the orthodox techniques, I'll listen to that claim. And all they need to do is support it by something called evidence. All right. And the evidence cannot be because a specific line under Yip Man has it. Because anybody could have added that into their own line, and that doesn't necessarily mean that Yip Man himself taught it, right? But if somebody has legitimate proof that Iron Palm was passed down from Leong Chan to Tan Son and, and was given to Yip Man, or people want to tell me that Leong Bik, who is most likely a fairy tale character anyway, somehow passed on Iron Palm to a 20-something-year-old Yip Man, okay, if they can show me evidence... I, I and, and the evidence is compelling. I will totally change my mind on that. But the problem is that there is zero evidence to support that fact. And if somebody has added Iron Palm to their own Wing Chun lineage, that's totally fine. Totally acceptable. It's just when people make a claim that this came from somebody um, who cannot defend themselves anymore. And there's also no more evidence to support that besides, well, so-and-so said it. Um, then I, I, I tend to, to to kind of doubt those claims a little bit. And Wing Chun is kind of a weird martial art because most of the students of Grandmaster Yip Man, my own teacher, Leung Ting included, oftentimes what differentiates one lineage from another is the claim that we have something the other person doesn't have. And that's actually really easy to do. Man, if my Sivu dies or my Sigong dies and there's no one else around, I could develop a boxing routine in Wing Chun with boxing gloves and be like... The thing missing from my Sivu's program was this boxing form with boxing gloves. And I created it. So you can always create something and say it was missing, but that doesn't mean that it was originally part of the style or that the style was lacking it or that it has anything to do with the orthodoxy of the style. So if people want to show me legit evidence that Iron Palm existed as part of the curriculum of orthodox Yip Man Wing Chun, they can send it to me. So anyway, uh, that's all I got to say about that. That's all I got to say. All right, with that said, who are those beautiful people you were with last night, bro? <laughs> well, uh, I don't know if anybody's not on my personal Facebook page. They might not have seen it, but I'm pretty sure my social media manager will post it because anytime there's me with a very beautiful person, uh, my social media manager likes to post that because the beautiful person in the photo with me is normally the reason why we get so many likes and not because of me. Um, no, last night I was uh, uh, very uh, privileged to be invited to the Hong Kong Economic and Trade Office's Chinese New Year reception. It was at the Harvard Club, which is like a super fancy place. I had to get dressed up in a suit, which is very rare. And uh, so they had lion dancing in a Chinese reception. There were lots of um, very important people who, who deal with um, Hong Kong government and things like that. And then I happened to see one of the actresses uh, from the movie Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon 2, which was on Netflix. Uh, her name is Shuya Chang, if I'm not mispronouncing it. Um, and she, my, my good friend Bay Logan was the producer of the movie. So I saw her and I'm like, oh, that's the girl from... 
Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon 2. I actually saw her at the premiere of the film in Hong Kong, but I didn't go up to her. And then I just went up to her yesterday and, and, and you know, said hi to her or whatever. And then I got a photo and now I woke up this morning. It had like a trillion likes and everyone's like, who's that girl in that photo? And it's like everyone thinks that I know her really well. I was like, no, I just kind of took a photo with her at the event. So, <laughs> the power of social media. So um, oh, yeah. I also I also had the privilege to hang out with Cynthia Rothrock uh, this week, which was super cool, uh, having grown up watching a lot of her films. And, and obviously she had done a number of uh, films in Hong Kong where she headlined. She's one of the few females to actually headline Hong Kong action films um, and – she also happens to be non-Chinese, so she's she's really a pioneer and really amazing. And, and Sammo Hung also uh, has has gone on record to say that she's absolutely one of the best females that he's ever worked with. And she's got some amazing fight scene with uh, Sammo Hung in the movie Millionaire's Express. If you haven't seen it, go to YouTube, type in Cynthia Rothrock, Sammo Hung. It's either under Shanghai Express or Millionaire's Express, and the fight scene is just amazing. So I, I had the chance to sit down and have lunch with Cynthia and got a lot of uh, old stories from her and and it was very cool. So uh, I don't know. I consider myself very lucky doing what I'm doing because I, I get to hang out with people that I grew up watching and, and that, you know, is just what I call Wednesday. So uh, it's very, very cool. I also got to hang out with Sifu Sam Kwok yesterday. Samuel Kwok, um, most people in the Wing Chun world know who he is. And also Sifu William Kwok, who's the other Wing Chun Sifu here in New York. Dim sum uh, talking about, you know, kind of the state of the Wing Chun world and so on. So, yeah, it was good. It was my, my, my goodwill day for the Wing Chun community. And, and, and so that was, that was my week. That's nice. I really want to meet William Clark a lot. He's, yeah, uh, very super nice guy. Super nice I, I guy. don't know him at all, but um, I, 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 I'm interested in what he's teaching. I've, you know, I know a few people that have gone to seminars with him and things to that effect. And he just yeah. seems like a good guy. And he's somebody I'd like to super meet. Super cool guy. Day. Yeah. Well, it's also great because right now in New York, it's basically me and him. <laughs> we're, right. we're the main professional guys. Most of the other Wing Chun schools are very small, just teaching at a dance studio somewhere, and, and they're not very high profile. And, and, you know, everyone thinks that all the Wing Chun people war with each other. But, I mean, my, literally the main other Wing Chun guy who runs a professional school in New York is is a friend of mine, and we right. go out and eat. So, I mean, you know. Well, you're that, that, an adult, uh, so and it sounds like he's an adult, and you can deal with Yeah, but, like but, but, you know, the older generation, and we, we discussed this before um, – the Chinese have a saying, it's called Awsamdaokok means constant strife, constant battling with other people. And when I look, even on Facebook, and I discussed this before, there are a number of uh, original students of Yip Man who are still on Facebook. When you just see just the tone of their posts, there is a big difference between that older generation and the newer generation. Like they were just, and you know, we can do another podcast on, on where those things come from, but they were just kind of brought up to constantly be kind of at war with each other. And every time they explain Wing Chun, it's always at the expense of somebody else. It's almost like right. they can never tell you why their bong so is good for the sake of it being good. It's like, well, my bong so is good because that guy's bong so sucks. Right. And he never learned this. And that's why I know this or whatever. And they have that what's called uh, which is this constant battling and fighting or whatever and i talked to this uh with sifu carson lao a couple weeks ago in fact he's the one who taught me that that saying and he says the new generation like that anymore because we kind of saw what happened to the older folk and and kind of saw that all it did was just make them bitter and they didn't go anywhere with it right so uh it, it needs to change and it doesn't mean we all all the wing chun people need to hold hands and sing kubaya or whatever but uh the, the the idea that we need to be constantly at war with each other i mean i'm too busy with my school to be at war with anybody 
And, uh, you know, the only strife I deal in my life is having this podcast every week and dealing with your insults coming my way. But that's about the hardest thing I have to deal with in terms of, like, I don't have when any... When have I ever insulted you, you fucking poindexter looking <laughs> When have hey. I ever insulted you? If I... See, it's just a matter of... See, here's the problem. If I state a fact, and that fact happens to be, I don't know, disparaging to you in some way... You know, it's not an insult. It's just a description. It's like calling well, me fat. I know it. It's okay. Well, well, here's the funny thing. Here's the funny thing. You know me. I have an extremely thick skin, so I always laugh <laughs> off pretty much everything you say. But sometimes with my students, they, they don't know how serious some of the stuff you say is. And I'm oh, like, oh, no. God. Like, especially... Especially the younger ones, right? Like they don't really. I'm like, oh no, no. Sean's just like we 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 were very good friends before we did this podcast, and it's different for them because you know they come to me and sure. I'm, I'm their sifu and they they learn in my school, so this is kind of a chance where they get to see me in in a lot less serious of a capacity, right? So for some of them, it's like a bit of an adjustment. So um, yeah, but no, I have I have a very very thick skin. Like I said, I even laugh at funny YouTube comments. Yeah, well, so for, uh, that, for any of Alex's cool. students and for both of his friends, I want to say that almost all of my jokes I don't mean. Almost. almost. <laughs> <laughs> like that, like that. I just want to say almost most of the horrifying <laughs> shit I say is <laughs> not really true. It's almost, you say almost everything oh, no, I say. No, no, it's true. I just don't mean to say it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> it just comes out. I can't help it. Very cool. Very cool. So um, should we, before we go into our topic, should we just briefly discuss what our layout is? Or maybe you want to say what our layout will be for season three. Okay, yeah. So I'm going to, I'll gloss over it and you can go into a little more detail. Um, we talking about okay. season three. We really want to um, drill down into the systems a little bit more. You know, not that we can teach anybody over a podcast, but we really want to take a, a topic a night and focus on it. And as they say in the banking industry, we want to get on a granular level and really just, you know, focus in. So we thought we were going to take the, the six forms of, the, of Wing Chun, how, you know, at least in our systems, both our lineages, Wing Chun's taught in six forms. And we're going to dedicate a week to each form. And then we're going to take other fundamentals of the art and do a compare and contrast. How do you say that? Compare and compare. Co- compare and contrast. Okay, all right. So English is my second language. I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> what we're going to do is talk about how some of the fundamentals in how we teach people how to fight are taught in both Jeet Kune Do and Wing Chun, and uh, kind of lay out our progressions a little bit for people to follow along and you know see what we do you know it's uh i think it'll be fun so each week you'll see like so this week you know one week will be sealing down chomkyu buji and and work all the way through all the forms yeah i think it's going to be great because it, it's kind of also my approach and also your approach to teaching um like we've discussed before there's unfortunately this weird trend in wing chun that people are like oh yeah uh you can just learn you know the, the forms really quickly and take a couple weekend seminars and suddenly by the power of Grayskull, you are a Wing Chun instructor. And this is a bit problematic because people confuse the fact that Wing Chun is a simple and direct system. The Wing Chun doesn't have a lot of forms with the fact that, or, or with the misconception that it can be mastered quickly or easily. Certainly if you have a good Wing Chun Sifu, you can learn how to defend yourself. You can learn how to fight in a relatively short period of time. 
but to really master the system or internalize the system, well, that's a different story. But there are literally people who go and teach themselves the forms from YouTube within a couple of weeks, they learn Sunum Tao Chumkyu Buji or whatever, and they really think that they've actually learned it. And they don't know what any of the movements are for. They don't they don't really understand the depth of of what's contained in those forms. And so I think this approach for season three is it's kind of how we've discussed it before. We like to go into topics into detail and really um the students understand it. We understand really master topics kind of one by one rather than do this kind of uh, buffet line approach that seems to be the trend these days. So I think um, it's kind of nice that we're going to dedicate, yes, you know, one episode per for the CUNM Pal form, for the Chumkyu form, one for the, uh, you know, uh, other forms and so on and so forth. And then really be able to go deep into those topics because that's actually how I prefer to teach anyway. So I think, um, that's uh, that's really going to to work. Yeah, you know, uh, Steve Golden from a long time ago, and it's, it's popular in, in the Jikindo community. That there's a little saying they'll say like, uh, uh, "JKD is simple, but it's not easy." And so we're going to focus like I'm, I'm, when it comes to Jikindo, I'm going to talk about the simplicity of it and why it's not easy and and how to get better at at being simple. You know, lucky for me, I was dropped on my head as a kid, so I kind of grew up that way. But I'm a little simple. No, there's a simplicity to Jeet Kune Do that's, um, that's lost in some schools, I think. Or at least in what I see, how topics are discussed on, online. And with uh, people, fellow Jeet Kune Do people that I've met up with. And when we talk about simplicity, and we talk about um, really you know, chipping away, there's, there's a disconnect. So uh, it's important to me to... To, to, to get out there some of the uh, information, at least that I know. And if, you, and if you think it's crap, that's fine, too. That's crap, you know. But uh, we want to really we really want to drill down next season into giving out some really, really good information. We're actually really excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. So we figured we would take this, this season finale, of which we hope your expectations are not too high, <laughs> and, and uh, discuss the overall fighting progressions within. Well, I think tonight we're going to kind of keep it somewhat limited. Well, I'll, I'll yeah. talk about Wing Chun. You can talk about JKD, the basic fighting progression. And then uh, starting in the next season, we'll take the first six episodes. Each episode will be one of the forms. And then the latter six episodes, we'll talk uh, a little bit more about uh, general fighting topics and so on and so forth. Um before we get started on that, I actually want to tell you something very funny. I had a conversation with my friend Bay Logan yesterday, who I mentioned before. He's a, a Hong Kong producer. Um, it, it was really funny because yeah, we're on the phone, and, and he he always you know he follows me on social media, and obviously we're good friends or whatever. And he's like, I don't know, you, yeah, he does a British accent. I, I mean, I'm not going to try to imitate a British accent for fear of making a fool of myself. But he goes, he goes. Alex, I don't understand how you Wing Chun people do it. You guys only have six forms. How do you guys have so much to teach? He goes, because he does, because the thing is, he does Honga, and Honga has many, many forms. I think a conservative estimate, at least in the Lam Sai Wing lineage, is like 30 to, 30 to 36 forms. Wow. Because they have like 18 different weapons, maybe uh, 10 hand forms, and then they have a number of like two man sets, right? Sure, and I can barely of course, remember the Wing Chun forms. Yeah, no kidding, right? So, uh, and, and, and so he says, you know, like, uh, but you Wing Chun guys, you only have these very basic forms. You're just standing there in place, waving your hands around. They're not even that dynamic or whatever. <laughs> and, and he goes, how do you guys have so much to teach? He goes, what do you have, like 40 versions of Bong Sao or something? 
<laughs> and of course he was being you know somewhat sarcastic i mean he understands right. obviously that there's a there's a depth to it there but it was kind of funny because if you think about it um Wing Chun is probably a lot more disputed than a lot of these other styles that have so many forms and they may have lots of variations between the forms of the different lineages, but it's not as disputed as much. I don't think because in Wing Chun, we're actually at least by virtue of Chi Sao, we're trying it out. So there's a lot of like, well, if you do it this way, it's not going to work and this way it's not going to work. And that tends to make all the claims about forms and techniques a little bit more of a hot topic because we're not just standing there doing forms. We're actually putting things into practice. And of course, I'm not saying Hong Kong people only do forms, but I'm just saying in in general, um, that might be the vibe. So I, I, I thought that was kind of funny. And then he was saying it's like. It's like, you and David Peterson have the market cornered. I don't know how the two of you white guys teach Chinese Kung Fu and only with so few forms <laughs> and you manage to end up having so much to teach. <laughs> this is very funny. It's just a random observation because it, it came up yesterday and I thought it was kind of appropriate to what we were talking about today. Yeah, it's funny. Well, my, I have, uh, I mentioned it on another podcast. In March, I have um, some of my guys coming in to uh, spend the weekend with me and we're going to have like a... Uh, a little kung fu family weekend, and uh, I will you know read that as we're going to eat a lot and maybe do some cheese sao. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my wife had turned around to me one day and says, um, "You know, it's great that they're coming because she loves these guys." You know, she says, "But do you still have stuff to teach them? Like, what the hell could you have to? You know, because these guys have been coming to, coming to meet me now for twenty odd years. You know, it's sure. uh, well, maybe maybe fifteen odd years, and." Um, and she's like, she goes, oh, I love them. They're great guys, but you still have stuff to teach them? Like, what are you going to do? Like, try and come up with stuff? I'm like, well, trust me, we got a lot to do. <laughs> you know, so it's amazing. Yeah, that's funny. I think it's it's hard for people who are not in martial arts to understand it. And I also think it's hard for people who think martial arts is nothing but accumulating some moves or whatever to understand it as well, um, is that th- there, there's a depth to it. You know, you can kind of do things... The first time around, you learn the superficial version. You learn some basic applications, basic techniques. And then when you come around the second time, you get you, you kind of have a deeper layer that's revealed. But that's not just through your seafood telling it to you. There also has to be a requisite practice in order for you to be ready to understand what that next level is. And, and I think that as we teach, we also learn a lot more, too. So I think some people also forget that there's a constant development in the instructor as well because you – you try this stuff out, you see the the difficulties of implementing certain things, and then you're constantly trying to improve it. So um, there's constant development, and whenever there's development, there's always new things to go over and teach and learn and review. Right. I mean, that's it's spot on. It's like people – I think people forget that, you know, you, I, and everybody else that has any kind of uh, teaching gig going on are, are still learning ourselves. And when I say learning, right. I mean, we're not out, not that we're not out there learning new stuff, but a lot of the stuff where, you know, like I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm going through whatever, JKD in my head for now. And um, all of a sudden, like, oh, wow, if I come at it from this angle, I can take it from here and it leads to other trains of thought. So then you'll be like, hey, guys, come here, I want to try something. And that leads to other avenues of thought and it's you know and that and that's how we all grow as people and as uh, martial artists together and that's how a kung fu family grows in in depth as opposed to in breadth right so um sure it's uh it's an exciting it's for me it's an exciting week i can't wait for uh, 
it's going to be March and we may let Alex come. We may not. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> well, it depends. Mar- Mar- March, I might not be around. I have uh, my schedule is getting crazier and crazier, man. Right. I might have to go to Florida again in March. And, and so, yeah, that's the problem <laughs> of being the Kung Fu genius, man. That people want to send you places and, you know, so I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Well, don't so, worry. I wasn't really going to let you come anyway. So. <laughs> I'll be I'll be there in spirit. I'll I'll send a I'll send a bouquet of flowers or something. <laughs> so uh yeah, so I guess for tonight what we want to talk about a little bit is the overall fighting progression. I'll talk maybe about Wing Chun, you can talk mm-hmm. about Jeet Kune Do a little bit. We'll use that to kind of wrap up and and then um go into stuff in depth for the next season. So uh did you want to start first on just so uh, basically uh, the question is okay, not not going into details about specific drills and and, and things like that or whatever, but Martial arts are trying to solve, to a certain degree, the problem of violence, okay? And, and different martial arts solve it, different types of violence. Sport, sport martial arts, street martial arts, weapon martial arts, or whatever. So all martial arts are contextual to the specific needs of which they were developed for. So I assume, in, in general, Jeet Kendo is trying to create someone who is an, an all-around good fighter, an adaptable fighter, whatever that means. So... How, at least in your um, understanding, because obviously other Jeet Kune Do people are going to have different interpretations, and that's totally fine. But how do you say, okay, we, we take somebody who doesn't know anything, all right, and we're mm-hmm. going to build this person into a Jeet Kune Do fighter. So what is the general progression, let's say, uh, um, you know, a one, two, five, ten-year type thing, and how do they develop over time? What are the important things that are focused on, at least the way you do it? Okay, so as far again, and that that's that's the most important thing. It's the way I do it, because I, I, I the one thing I want to make sure is that I'm not speaking for Steve Golden or Steve Golden's lineage or G Kundo in general or anything to that effect. This is strictly how Big Sean does it in his basement. Um, <laughs> that sounds weird. Well, you've been in my basement, bitch, and you understand <laughs> what I'm talking about. The torture chamber. <laughs> <laughs> so. How how I how I tend to work on it is I mean of course everybody comes into you with a um, with a different set of tools level uh, understanding everybody a lot when Jeet Kune Do may be different from all the martial arts people tend to walk into Jeet Kune Do thinking they know it already they just want to go to a school to make sure that they're right I, I, you run into that a lot with Jeet Kune Do. Everybody knows it. They've all read the Tao Jeet Kune Do before they came to train with you. They're just coming to you just to make sure that they're that, that they're right. So what I tend to do is, um, assuming a person has the basic ability to move around a little bit, I like to start people off hitting shit. I am big on people feel good when they hit stuff. And... I tend to want to make sure a guy can fight before I fine-tune what he can do. And so when, when people come down to train with us, I will start off with the basic stance, right? Uh, some people call it a bai-jong, some people call it a ready stance, whatever. The basic stance. I'll, I'll explain to them why we have power side forward. I explain to them about alignment and balance and a little bit about structure. And then I'll just start off with them throwing a jab not so much even the straight lead everybody worries about the straight lead straight leads coming but i just just start off with a jab just so they can throw a jab a little bit and then i try and progress them into from from a jab a little bit of footwork with a jab a jab into you know kind of like we call it a push shuffle push shuffle to jab 
and then let them understand the, the timing of it. In JKD, is you have to think about like um, envision a boxing gym rather than a martial arts school. Um, a boxing gym, it almost you know if you look at if you go to a boxing gym and you say, well, okay, I have a list of your techniques. They list five techniques, right? I mean, jab, cross hook, uppercut, and right. some sort of shovel hook kind of thing. JKD kind of has the same atmosphere in that at least my school in JKD kind of has that same atmosphere. People come down to sweat. People come down to fine tool based, fine, fine tune basic tools and fundamentals. You know, it's not about learning a new section to a form tonight. It's about everybody here knows how to throw the straight lead. It's about self-perfection. So when, when a guy comes down, I'll try and get him him or her to like say just start off with a jab and literally it'll be jabbing into the air then we'll work into jabbing into with some footwork jabbing now with footwork into a focus mitt and then into literally we have a drill in JKD where like say you and I were moving around Alex a little bit we're just moving around some footwork you would throw a jab I'll catch it or slip and counter with a jab and you'll catch it and slip. And just keep on. And I say, you'll initiate, I'll initiate. You'll initiate, I'll initiate. Just so we're moving around and in, in a combative way and get people comfortable with the idea of shit coming at their face and moving and throwing stuff in, res- in response to it. And then from there, I'll talk a little bit about um, some of the... Some of the principles of JTD, but not, not, I don't want to get too heady with people. And just the idea of interception, what interception is, and, and, and angles. So I'll explain to them. So we'll start off with basically, I'll say, say it's uh, Alex and I working for the first time. And so Alex throws a jab at me. I kind of catch it and I counter with a jab. And we're going back and forth. And, I, and, I'll, and, and this is all done very slowly. It's not like anybody's trying to hit anybody. So then after a while, you know, we'll do that, and then I'll say, okay, so now, Alex, instead of me catching it, I'm kind of going to just pat it to the side and move my head and counter. And that's what I want you to do, just kind of just get a little bit of idea of head movement. And, and so then as we go through this, we'll, we'll work on things like the balance and footwork because it's inevitable that people are going to do this and they're going to be off balance. They're going to be punching with the wrong, with their weight distributed uh, incorrectly or awkwardly they're going to be coming at it with a bad angle so we take this fundamental tool a jab or a straight lead and I'll work with them on this until they can now you know, over say like a month or two how they can work on these one or two tools in a very combative way so that literally after a week of doing this they feel like if nothing else, they can punch a guy and they can avoid a punch. And people feel really good about this, you know. And then and it's, it's kind of like when you get this overall set of, of tools down and there's not a lot. I tend to just, I really, to be honest with you, we start off with it's just like a straight lead, a rear straight, a hook, and like two kicks. And you're talking about the majority of the system here, you know. We'll, we'll use some, some trapping here and there, but I, I t- tend not to focus on that at first. Because um, I, I want to keep it that we're going to take a minimal amount of tools and drill down and get under and get gain an understanding of timing, get a, gain an understanding of rhythm and breaking rhythm, gaining an understanding of angles, gaining an understanding of how to use distance as a deception to draw an opponent in. 
how to use ideas of habits and reactions and things to this to really take down to take down another fighter. And this is nothing to do with you know sport application versus street application. I'm talking about we're going to assume that the fight's going to happen, okay? Because there's all this idea of de-escalation talk and things to that effect. I'm not poo-pooing that. I'm just talking about as far as the fight's going to happen. You're standing there at a fucking Barnes & Noble trying to buy a Playboy magazine, and the jerk-off next to you throws a punch. What are you going to do? The fight's going to happen. you got punches coming at you. Let's, let's deal with this. And, and So people need to feel comfortable with a punch coming at them and they need to feel comfortable throwing a punch and people think they know how to fight people think that they're even people think they're comfortable throwing a punch because they've hit a heavy bag people think and they 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 until you until you're there with another person moving around trying to jockey position and take an angle on a person while they're punching at you 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 have no clue. And you have to get people used to that before, at least in my opinion, in the way I do things, you have to get people used to that before you can start getting, for lack of a better term, into more advanced advanced theories. So if you, if you talk about a jab, and okay, I know how to throw a jab. Boom, I throw a jab, boom. Okay, so if I said to you, all right, I'm gonna throw. You could throw a jab, and 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 Floyd Mayweather can throw a jab, and that's all you guys can do. You only throw jabs and move around. Do you think you could hit him, or do you think he could hit you? No, you would be asleep within two fucking seconds, because he would knock you fuck out. And it's not because his jab is better than your jab. Your jabs are the same. It's his understanding of timing. It's his understanding of. Distance, especially with a guy like Mayweather, right? How he can be just out of range every time you throw a punch and, and, and be able to just close on you and hit you with three punches before you knew what happened. He, you know, he'll be able to read all of your indicators because you will be like um, giving away what you're going to do with just motions that you make or faces that you make and things to that effect. So you you will learn how... you. As we get more advanced, it's not about learning more tools in JKD, at least how I teach it. It's more about learning how to get better at a few amount of tools. Now, how I, how I like to teach my Jeet Kune Do program is I also am very much uh, a fan of um, straight brush gyms and the way Matt Thornton lays out his system. Now, Matt Thornton's main art is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and my main art is Jeet Kune Do. But if you look at the way the system of straight flush gyms is laid out, I, I readily and freely fucking ripped rip this off. Uh, you know, for a little while, I ran a, uh, a, a gym under, under, under Matt Thornton for a little while, a uh, training group. And um, I learned so much from the man. And one of the things I learned was that the way he breaks down his system is uh, stand-up, clinch, and ground. And I have a wrestling background. I wrestled for years in school. And I learned my ground fighting from, uh, from Matt Thornton. So part of my program is stand-up, jikendo, clinch, wrestling with Greco-Roman, and ground, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So that's all part of my system. But again, even my, my wrestling and my, my, my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has, I think, a jikendo flair to it. And the idea that it's, it's, there's this focus on simplicity. There's this focus on uh, manipulation through habits and reactions. There's this idea of, of, of taking a fundamental 
understanding um, different avenues that the opponent can take through your movements and capitalizing upon that. And all this is learn learned through use of fundamental and basic tools. People shit on basics like, oh, okay, I don't want to learn Sun Dao. Teach me Buji because that's where all the cool shit is. When all the fundamentals are right there in the first form. You have to learn the fundamental tools. You have to learn how to throw the jab correctly before we can learn with angles and distance. So that's, that's a, I guess, a little bit of a glimpse of the, my progression. And if any of that made sense, I'm sorry because I didn't mean for it to. <laughs> you didn't mean for it to make sense. <laughs> you tried your hardest to make sure nobody understood what the hell That's you were exactly talking about. exactly right, because otherwise they'll rip me off. Yeah, you don't want to give too much away. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's fantastic. I think that's why at the heart of it, Jeet Kune Do is essentially trying to be a very organic system, which is something that is not really that, – that can't really be said, I think, for traditional Chinese martial arts, Wing Chun included, because we have um, – that construct in terms of how we build it, uh, you know, especially in Wing Chun being that we, we, we have to teach the forms in a certain way. And then there are certain drills and other things that are kind of tied to that uh, in a certain order or whatever. And it definitely makes sense in, in Wing Chun. We don't have as much freedom to a certain degree. Um, and I say that, and I had, I, I hedge that with, I, I don't nece- I don't necessarily teach it in the very kind of boring Hong Kong way that it's often presented, um, and I think that the revolution in Wing Chun not only sh- now should be in terms of changing the way it's perceived by the general public, but also changing the way it's trained in the schools and updating it and upgrading it a little bit, um, because it definitely needs that. With the, the tools of Wing Chun, the principles of Wing Chun, concepts of Wing Chun are so universally applicable and they could be used to create somebody who's very competent at defending themselves and fighting. They can also be used to improve um, other martial arts or whatever. But if it's constantly taught in the way that it's been kind of taught recently, I don't think that that's, that's really going to be the case. So the way I look at it is Wing Chun is uh, a style like many traditional martial arts styles. They start with an extremely, rigid and preset progression but the goal is like most proper martial arts is at some point to become formless and natural and spontaneous unfortunately in wing chun i see that so many people get caught up in all the drills and the forms and everything like that that they're constantly trying to fit themselves into the box of the specific lineage that they practice and they never they never break through it if you look at all the top guys and all the different lineages they are usually much more free and relaxed and spontaneous than most of their adherents. So I make it a point in my school in terms of the fighting progression in terms of the overall goal is to give them certain rules to keep them as safe as possible based on their current level of skill. As a student's skill level improves and develops, you can start to take off some of the training wheels that you originally put on to keep them safe. Uh, and that's kind of one of the differences between how I presented and maybe other people. A lot of traditional martial artists are very proud of their training wheels and keeping them on. Uh, I'm of the opinion that if you really want your students to grow as a martial artist, they need to make it their own and they cannot just be there constantly blindly copying what the Sifu is doing and they, they need to be taught how to make Wing Chun their own. So I try as much as possible in a very similar vein to to make Wing Chun very organic and and 
practical and natural. So I still teach it within the confines of the traditional Hong Kong system. Students join my school and they start with the first form and they're going to learn the applications. And we do a lot of all the sparring we do in our school, with the exception of chi sao sparring or guo sao, um, all the sparring is Wing Chun versus non-Wing Chun. I mean, I can't, it, it totally drives me nuts when people are like, okay, we're going to teach you how to defend punches and the attacker is there standing in the Wing Chun Bai Jong giving a Wing Chun punch and then the other guy's defending it as if that's somehow the punch that they're going to encounter on the street. So that was one of the first things I did away with. Um, I still have the very traditional framework and structure of Chi Sao and the Wing Chun versus Wing Chun thing, but I leave that to Chi Sao. For the practical stuff, uh, while they're learning the form, while they're learning Dan Chi and basic uh, traditional exercises, footwork and whatnot, I make sure that they know how to defend a straight punch, a cross, a swing, a headlock, a tackle attempt, all these kind of very common things on the street. So we teach the students to have very clearly defined A and B roles. A is the Wing Chun defender and B is the attacker. And we make sure that they do the attacks as realistically um, or correctly, I should say, as possible, and that they give what we call good bad guy behavior. And good bad guy behavior doesn't mean that they're not being competitive or something like that. It just means that, you know, if I'm going to throw a jab, I want to throw a jab the way somebody's going to throw it on the street. If I'm going to do a tackle, I'm going to do the way a tackle the way someone's going to do it on the street. And as the student progresses, we make the attacks more and more, let's say, professional. You know, like people could look at a beginner class of mine. And we're teaching them how to defend a basic tackle. I call it the, the, the frat boy tackle, right? And somebody who's from jiu-jitsu or wrestling might be like, that's a really stupid tackle or a really basic tackle. That's like, you know, nobody's going to do – yeah, nobody's necessarily going to do that who's at a high level in wrestling or Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But these are the kind of tackles that happen in street fights with normal everyday people. And while sometimes people kind of poo-poo that like – well, so you're just teaching your students to fight against scrubs? Well, at the beginning we are because that's probably all they might be able to handle. It's like I don't have any illusions that after two weeks of training, my student is going to be able to defend a single leg from someone with six months of wrestling because that, that, that's not realistic. So we start with not a hook, but the haymaker swing. Some dude's going to come and try to throw this thing at your head. It's a wild swing. That's what happens on the street. When they're competent with that, then we go, okay, gradually we're going to start working in how we have to adapt and change when it becomes a tight hook or uh, when it's not a wild punch, when it's a tight punch that comes back with straight retraction and there's a cross coming right behind it. How do we deal with that? But that has to be taught progressively. So I've made it a point to keep all of the sparring, the practical stuff, strictly Wing Chun versus non-Wing Chun. So, and we just build that up. It's like the first, the Sunam Tao level is all against common street fighting attacks. And then as they get into the chunky levels, they start to deal with more advanced kicks and grabs and holds and clinches and takedowns and things like that. Because when they have chunky, they already have some elbows and knees and some cheese out skills. So we can start to uh, increase the types of attacks that they're dealing with. And then this progression just continues, um, at least in the non-Wing Chun versus Wing Chun stuff, you know, through throughout the higher levels or whatever. And one of the things that we just implemented in my school this year is we have a very robust self-defense program. And what I mean by self-defense is 
in Wing Chun, people learn how to fight using Wing Chun. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's exactly what's going to happen on the street. Like, your opponent on the street's not going to come and try to give you a jab or a roundhouse kick to the head or something like that. But somebody might come up to you and grab you. They might grab your collar, put you in a headlock, you know, uh, hold onto your arm and pull you. Or all these kind of things that a lot of martial artists hover. And a lot of Wing Chun people are like, oh, if you have good chi sao, you know how to deal with it. Well, we make sure our students actually know how to deal with it. So we took 26 of the most common situations, like, for example, headlocks. We have four, four or five different progressions on headlocks from the guys putting you in a headlock, which is fully enclosed. How do you defend that standing? To the guys got you in one arm with a headlock, and now they're trying to punch you in the face with the free hand. How do we use Wing Chun to solve that? The guy's got you in a headlock and he's now bending you down to bring you to the floor. How do we deal with that? To now you're actually on the floor in a headlock and now how do you deal with that? So we make sure kind of from standing to the ground, the student knows the variation between a fully enclosed headlock and a half a headlock where the guy's trying to punch you in the face and that they can competently defend that. So we have that built into the program. So do you getting some static over there? No, it just blanked out for half a second. It's all good. Okay, right, right. So, um, so that that's been one of my main things. I mean, of course, I told one of my students today, um, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants because the big uh, codifying the Wing Chun pro- program that was done by Sifu Leung Teng, who he he standardized the curriculum from Sunan Tao Chumki Buji all the way uh, through and and made it uh, more teachable, in my opinion. And all I've done is take his template which for cheese, I was really great. But for the practical stuff, I wanted to structure it a little bit more and make sure that the students right from the get go, they know how to defend themselves against common attacks, common holds, grabs, whatever. And then as they progress, those type of attacks just get a little bit more professional uh, for lack of a better term. And, and that's what we try to do until at the most advanced levels. I mean, the students can, move around against all sorts of different types of attacks and, and, and they feel confident and they can use their, their Wing Chun skills organically rather than trying to stand in a certain stance. And, and, you know, they can only deal with certain attacks when they come a certain way, but, Oh, you can't do that because that's not Wing Chun. That's not at all. What I see is as a logical progression for teaching people to fight, but Wing Chun should be the tool to learn to fight and it shouldn't be a box which binds people. And I say that, not giving license to people to go and do whatever the hell they want and call it Wing Chun. I'm talking about proper Wing Chun. They need to develop the skill so that they have the skill. I'm not just saying go, go and do whatever you want and call it Wing Chun. Um, the skill needs to be developed. And I think uh, um, that's where people need to put their efforts in is refining the way those skills are developed in 2000 and, you know, in, in, in the 21st century, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, so that, that's basically kind of my take on the progression. Yeah, that's, you know, I want to go learn Wing Chun at your school. It's, uh, no, it's, you, <laughs> me too, you, me too. You, you, you always have a uh, a great way of dealing with um, the Wing Chun curriculum. And I, I, I you know, I, I mean, I've always respected you when it came to Wing Chun. But uh, after visiting your school, that, that, sh- that short little visit, man, I was like, this is like one of the best schools I've ever been in. And it's, oh, uh, thank you so much, and, man. And it's, 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 it's evident, and not just the way you speak of the art, it's evident in the way your students interact with each other and with outsiders and with other people it's really top notch and you can tell you have an awesome training program going on oh thank you so much well i've been i mean that's what i take pride in i don't care so much if 
people think I'm the best Wing Chun guy or whatever, but yeah, my, that's not going to happen. My, that part there, you're out. That's <laughs> not my, my, my responsibilities for my students and making sure that they have the best time and, and, and making sure that the program is always, you know, top notch and constantly improving the way we present oh, it. Well, teaching, you're good so. at that shit, dude. You're good at that. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. I'm also thinking of changing my hairstyle to, to this. What do you think? Well, you know, oh, you mean Bruce Lee or the one next to Bruce Lee? Cause no, I'm talking about Angela. Right, no, okay, yeah, I, I picture you more of the Angela Mao look. <laughs> so actually very funny. Uh, uh, we're going, I mentioned Angela Mao uh, on a couple of the podcasts before. We're having a Chinese New Year uh, hot pot this Sunday. So when the podcast comes out, it will already be too late. So you can't come and join. It's already happened. Ha ha ha. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're going uh, uh, to um, Angela's uh, son's restaurant, which is next door to hers. And, and uh, the students will uh, hopefully have a chance to, to meet her and, and so on. And she was just in the New York Times again. Uh, it's very cool to see that she's had this a bit of a resurgence, although she's always very shy about it. Um, it's very, very, very cool to see her. So, uh, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry I can't make it, dude. I'm so pissed that I can't make it. I really want it to happens. It happens. Students. Well, 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 that just gives us another reason to do it again. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. Very cool. Well, hey, man, I had a really good time. Uh, I, yeah, this I think was a this lot was, of fun. It's really good. So, uh, the next season, guys, uh, we're going to start uh, episode one. We're going to start with the CUNM Tao form and we're going to. We're going to go into great detail in, in how we both approach that and, and from a training methodology standpoint and, and, and much further. And we'll do a new form every episode. And I look very much yeah. forward to that. And thank you guys. To, for I'm the- going to have to watch some YouTube videos just to figure out what Silum Dao is. But I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. Well, first thing first thing I need to do for you, Sean, is to cor- correct your pronunciation on Shut that. Shut up. And I know. Look, you do not need to speak with perfect Cantonese pitch and tone or whatever. Silum just- Dao. Just do me one favor. Say Tao with a T, not with a D. Silim Tao. Tao, 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 Tao. <laughs> it's not Tao, Tao, Tao. I always want to shoot myself in the eyeball every time I hear Silim Tao. <laughs> Silim Tao. Tao, 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 Tao. Yes, yes, yes. So um, we'll, we'll, yeah, I look very much forward to do that. And hey, I want to also just thank, <laughs> thank all of our followers again for uh, all the great support we have. If you haven't done so yet, please like our face on uh, our face on face. I was just going to say our face. Please like our face book page. On no, no, the he fucking corrected me on how you say Silim Tao, 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 but he can't even say Facebook. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a dick. There you go. Are you done? Yeah. <laughs> I can let you do the pitch next time if you feel more comfortable <laughs> with it. Uh, so uh, go to Facebook, uh, Dudes of Kung Fu. Give us a like. Share it whenever the podcast episodes come out. Uh, share them on your on your page and, and and like it so we can get the word out there. Don't forget to write reviews on iTunes. Those things definitely do help uh, let more people find out about our podcast. And, and please try to support as much as possible. Also, we are now on YouTube as well. So if you are listening to this in audio format, you can go back and do it all again, but with the beautiful visuals that we have provided for you on YouTube. Outstanding. All right, guys, we'll, we'll see you next week when we start our, uh, our season three. Fantastic. All right, guys, take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.